listening to episode 27, chapter 2 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. And today we're continuing our conversation with Josh Larson. Josh Larson is the co-host of the radio show and podcast, Film Spotting, author of Movies Are Prayers, and editor and film critic at Think Christian, a website exploring faith and pop culture. He's been writing and speaking about movies professionally for more than two decades. Josh's career began in the newspaper business, where he started out as a beat reporter for a weekly community newspaper and went on to become the film critic for the Chicago-based Sun-Times Media for more than 10 years. In 2011, he joined the Christian media landscape as editor of Think Christian, and in 2012, he joined the long-running weekly podcast, Film Spotting, aired on WBEZ in Chicago. If movies are prayers, as the title of Josh Larson's book suggests, then it's important for us to understand the role movies play in our lives and in the larger culture. If you think about what makes your favorite movie resonate with you so much, it's probably because the prayer of that movie resonates with you. That was redundant. No, but it makes sense. I like it. Okay, okay. Your soul has identified with it, and you've now latched onto it as an expression of the unspoken desire of your heart. And if this is true, then movies have the potential to affect our lives in some profound ways. And that's why we wanted to go a little deeper with Josh in this chapter and discover just how movies become prayers. Movies are oftentimes one of the best mirrors or examples of our current cultural state. Like, you know, you go back through film history, right? And you, it's almost like a really good cultural analysis of at least what like the predominant culture thought of the day. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think you can definitely do a historical reading of film. And, and a lot of times it'll be a couple years, you know, after a, a certain significant social change has made that the movies start dealing with it and reflecting it. But yeah, I think you see that throughout history. So but the question is then, like, Christians are always afraid of engaging in culture. It's what this is bringing to my mind, right? We always have this because uh, we're supposed to be clash. separate. That's right. We're supposed to be separate mm, and we're not supposed yeah, to engage or yeah. we're not supposed to become part of the culture. So I, I, at least I think a lot of people's hesitations with any of these sorts of things. And, and again, it might just be the background that I was raised in when it, when it came to movies, there were strict guidelines and um, you know, I, I could watch certain things because I don't know that they, they didn't have Pokemon in it or something like that. <laughs> or, uh, like a big one for my family was like, where did the power come from? Like Superman was okay because he, he yeah. was an alien, yeah. but yeah. the Power Rangers weren't because they got their power from somewhere else, you know? Ah. And so it was like a weird dynamic there. Huh. Um, so, so this all brings up in my mind, how do we engage with movies, engage with the culture in a way that is um, uh, appropriate for Christians? Yeah. And, and so I guess my question is, is like, how do movies become prayers in your mind? Because I think if we answer that question, it'll help us start figuring out a little bit more where we bump up against uh, the, the culture wall, and then we can start understanding how Christians can engage with that culture um, 
either to call it out or to engage with it to try to bring redemption. Yeah, to uh, let me back. Let me back up to. Um, I think Josh said the phrase "we're supposed to be separate." Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting because I, you know, I I've heard that too, and um, the question might be well, how does that look? What does that actually mean? Does it mean separating uh, entirely from the culture and building our own bubbles, our own walls, so that there's a hard line there? Or does it mean having a separate presence within the culture? And I think maybe uh, a project uh, like the book or just my way of participating in film culture in general is the latter. So that we're there, but we're also bringing who we are as Christians into that conversation. Um, and so an important part of being a conversation partner is that you listen. Um, and so I think we skip over often that listening point, even those Christians who do want to be engaged with the culture, say we don't want to be in that bubble or behind that wall. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean we go blaring into the culture with our message, whatever we perceive that to be, but maybe we listen to what's being said. We listen to the, the art, we watch the art. We wrestle with the art, and then after we've done that, we have a chance to offer our response, share our story, and share the way we see the world and, and you know how we believe God's story is overarching that. And I think that's just a different way of being separate. You know, it's, it's bringing something separate to the cultural conversation. So, you know, how, how does that translate to how do movies become prayers? I think it's just offering... You know, this is a way of us offering a lens of one way to look at film that maybe the film culture at large hasn't considered. I, that's what I've encountered a lot with the book from um, fellow critics or just others in film culture in general who aren't Christians saying, wow, I never thought about um, reading a film that way. And they weren't um, scared by it or put off by it because for them, it was just another interpretive lens, another critical lens, as if, you know, there are feminist film critics, there are, you know, political theorist film critics. And here, what I was hoping to do was offering a work of Christian film criticism. That was this different lens. It's very separate in many ways from, um, other sorts of film criticism you see. Um, but, uh, but it's still participating in the culture, if that makes sense. Yeah, one of the so one of the ways that I like to look at movies and think about what I'm seeing in the film that I'm watching is what it actually portrays about the world that I'm living in. Uh so like for example, I'll a semi self-deprecating story. My wife and I right before our first son was born, uh Frozen came out. And so I I'm a I'm a Hans Christian Andersen fan. And so the story of uh, the Snow Queen is just really fascinating to me. The, the stuff that happens in that uh, fairy tale is just a really great depiction of how sin infiltrates our hearts and things like that. And so she came home one day and she caught me watching Frozen. And <laughs> I did not she... know this story. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then uh, she asked me why I was doing it. I said, well, I want to, I want to, I want to check the theology in it because I was really trying to understand what they were trying to do with the original Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale sure. and, and how much of that theology carried through and then really use that as an understand, a, a way to understand how the modern day culture was interpreting a story that was written uh, over a hundred years ago. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And th- there's, uh, I'm glad you, you say that you want to see the theology in it, because that's, <laughs> that's often what I'm looking for in a film and not to see if it me- measures up to any sort of test, or even even to, to see if it's correctly aligned with what my theology might be, but just because I right, think that's right. fascinating. Um, it's a fascinating way to look at a movie. And then, as I was saying, you know, we can share in response, well, that's, you know, the theology this movie offers about this certain idea. And then, you know, here's what my theology might say about that. And then a conversation can start there. So, so yeah, I think that's a helpful and a completely legitimate way to look at film. I, I guess I caution... You know, film can reflect the larger culture and a historical period, as we've been saying. But um, we should be cautious in not giving movies too much weight or saying that they're, you know, that Frozen is making the ultimate statement for what American culture is at any given time. Yeah, because it's still the perspective of a limited number of people who created the story, who wrote the story, produced the movie, directed the movie. Yeah, definitely. And even and and that's a good point you make you bring up because it's always helpful to remember how many people are involved in a film. So I think one of the worrisome ways of looking at movies is is fearing that they're they're distilling this particular message that they want to send to us. But in reality, movies in particular have so many creative hands in them that yes, they can um ultimately land on a, a unified sort of position on something. But really what often happens is that there's an alchemy at work with all of those creative voices and a film can sometimes become its own thing beyond what the makers intended. Here's obviously, you know, I need that escape clause to even do this book. Um, But then beyond that, um, you have the interpretive element. So then there's that that mysterious relationship between the audience and the film where a new thing is, a new identity is created. And um, I think mo- movies are especially susceptible to that sort of malleability in identity and message. Yeah. So how, because that's one of my favorite things about movies and that they almost take on a life of their own, like afterwards. Like yes. one of my favorite examples of that is the uh, the Pixar theory about you know how all the movies are created and happen in this one universe and like i will spend hours going down rabbit holes on the internet <laughs> looking for proof of this and, and so like it even i went and watched toy story 4 and i think i haven't seen this this is me but i think there's like images of uh boo from uh, monsters inc in there really so oh, yeah, I think I heard that. the actual character is in kindergarten in the kindergarten class oh, okay so, um, so anyway just I know that's that's a Pixar thing. I've got young children, but uh, <laughs> that's why I was watching Toy Story for <laughs> for all those people out there. Um, hey, Pixar's for adults first. Don't forget that. <laughs> that's true. It is true. It's been, and it was a good movie. I really enjoyed it. So I, my question though uh, becomes, how do you think then we should interact with movies that take on a life of their own? Is that a completely appropriate thing to say? Well, even though that might not have been the message of the movie, it, it is how that movie came across and so we should critique it and interact with it for what it was even if it didn't deliver on what it was trying to deliver on yeah i i think what you have to be careful of doing here and this is something i was worried about when i started writing the book is um is not hijacking the movies either towards something we're afraid they are that that they um don't really mean to be or towards something we want them to be where the evidence isn't really there. And the latter is the the danger, as I said, I would have run into with the book where I didn't want to really force any movie 
into being reflective of a form of prayer um, without any proper evidence, essentially. And there may be some instances where readers will say, yeah, you're really stretching it on this one. Um, but what I try to do uh, to prevent that is to go to the actual form of these movies. So to spend a lot of time on the aesthetics of them. Um, and by that, I mean, how is the sound design used? What, what does the cinematography look like in this movie? And how is that reflective of the ideas at play? What are the actors doing? What are their choices bringing to this project? Um, all sorts of things like that, even color, focusing on color. And I think then what you're doing is, at the very least, respecting the artistic choices that the filmmakers made and respecting what they actually put on the screen and working with that. Now, your interpretation of that may be different from what they intended or meant or even thought about, um, but at least you're respecting their work. So I think that's something that, you know, Christians who want to engage in arts um, can do more of is before we worry about message, before we worry about worldview, um, themes, narrative, those are all good things. But before we get to that, let's start with what's actually in front of us on the screen um, and really root around in those artistic choices and see what that brings out in us in terms of our interpretation. Can you give us a, a an example of what you're talking about there? Because um, although I have a a great appreciation for a lot of those elements, it's not where I tend to go to um, first. Because sure. I, I like I, I tend to just go towards the story or the plot, or and, and I do want to jump into a specific some of these movies that you discuss here um, in in a second. But I, I was wondering if you had any uh, concrete ideas or yeah. examples of what you're talking about. Yeah, if you don't mind if I pull one from TV, just because um, I was just, or streaming, I guess you, should, you could say, I was just talking about this uh, yesterday with um, for the Think Christian podcast. I'll spoil one of our upcoming podcasts where I'm the, the host of, but we're talking about Stranger you Things. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there you go. And, um, and Stranger Things, we were talking about in terms of spiritual warfare and its vision of sin and evil, um, how it's represented by the upside down and the mind flayer. If you're into stranger things, that'll, that'll all make sense to you. But, um, that film or that series, I should say has from the first season, we're now in season three, made extensive use of the color red and, uh, red obviously often used in films and television to evoke evil, to give us that sense of the sinister in season three, there are numerous instances where this idea of uh, this encroaching evil force and also representing sin is always in the background, in the signs at the mall where a lot of the action takes place, a hospital, a carnival ride where two characters are having this nefarious conversation inside a carnival ride, and there's this strobe lit red. But then there's this really interesting moment, um, without spoiling it, I'll just say a moment of meeting between one of the heroic characters and one of the evil characters where she is mining a memory of his, a good memory before he turned um, evil. And what she talks about in that memory, it's of him as a little boy surfing while his mom watched. She talks about how happy his mom was, how happy he was, and just makes a comment about your mom, your mom had a blue ribbon 
in her hair, I think it is, or on her clothing. And she was holding yellow sandals. And, and you think back to the scene and you realize, that's right, there's no red in that scene at all. This is one of the rare moments in Stranger Things where we get a different color scheme. And those, that yellow and that blue represent um, goodness and a purity uh, before, the, before the series gets back to that more harsher red when things take a turn for the worse. So it's just something like that where we're using something as simple as color, as obvious as the fact that red is used for evil. That's not a new observation, but it is our gateway to talking about how Stranger Things can be seen as this um, dramatic, melodramatic, sci-fi horror representation of the sort of spiritual warfare um, that we still do engage in today, even though we like to think of everything as being rational and scientific and modern today. Um, but these are still things that are at play in the background. And here's a way to talk about the way Stranger Things does evoke that, just starting with colors. Yeah, see, that's fascinating. I never would have put that together that explicitly. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, it's definitely there. And I know that those elements exist and are used to sort of create um, certain or bring up certain emotions in the audience member. But I really... I guess I've never paid that much attention to those elements for really what the underlying message is about them. So that's really fascinating. And it, it can be fun too. You know, it's just, a, it's just, for me, it's fun to pay attention to those details and kind of sit with them and think about them. Step five in our path to creating a lifestyle of discipleship is to make other disciples. We each have a call in our life to point others to Jesus as we grow to become more like him. Watching a movie with someone and having a conversation about what you watched is a great way to do that. So today I want to challenge you to go to a movie with a friend. After you leave the theater, ask each other these two questions. First, what did the movie say about humanity? Second, what would scripture say about that message? This may not be an easy exercise at first, but I want to encourage you to dig in and look at what the movie says about our deepest longings and desires. When that conversation happens, it's a great opportunity for the message of the gospel to speak directly to us where we are. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Josh and his work, check out LarsonOnFilm.com. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where Josh talks about the way movies give a voice to our human struggles. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to DailyGrowthDiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. 
You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.